GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. On Gibraltar today, on Wednesdays we go into depth on one topic. We delved into women's health after nearly 600 women missed their mammogram test last year. On the panel, Heidi Jeffries from the Breast Cancer Support Group, Dr. Olivia Gonzalez, cancer survivor Francesca Makey, and first-time mum and journalist Sophie Clifton-Tucker. But first, Camp Bay, Little Bay and Roja Bay remained closed for bathing. Our reporter Jonathan Sacramento has been at Roja following a major oil spill and brought us the latest. So now 24 hours on, you've now visited Roja Bay. What's the difference in the last day? Well, not much. All the black stuff was really accumulating on all the beaches uh, in force during the uh, early part of the morning yesterday. Of course, the Port Authority and the Department of the Environment were really uh, concerned because overnight you can't do any monitoring. You can't see the oil in the dark uh, and you can't keep uh, those... Well, you can keep the booms active, but but those boats can't be uh, sailing around uh, collecting oil at night because you just literally can't see where it is. Uh, So it was... a, a The big question was, what will we find when we get there in the morning? And it's pretty much the same story. Uh, Look, it hasn't worsened overnight, but it hasn't got much better. Brogia Bay, unfortunately, which is, it's not an official beach, but it is uh, an area that people use for bathing and recreation. uh, And it's an important site for flora and fauna as well. It's a a site that uh, ecologists and marine biologists uh, hold in great importance uh, because there's just such a, a lively ecosystem there. I spoke to, to Luis Dagneto, he's the, the spokesperson for the Nautilus project, and I asked him I mean, what, uh, uh, what, uh, what damage can this do to the ecosystem, and he gave you a very detailed answer. All the black stuff that washes up on the, on the beach that you see here behind me that we're trying to clean up as quickly as possible, all of that kills a lot of the invertebrates that are on the shore, a lot of the mollusks, a lot of the crabs, and they form food for other species later on. So octopus and other things that then form uh, a longer chain. I think fish that then we rely on. Um, if you take away that food source for them, what starts to happen is, is that you see these effects up the ecosystem. And the research shows that an oil spill like this, the effects of that oil spill, will last in the ecosystem them up to about 10 years so really is long term if we're having an oil spill every year we're resetting that 10-year clock and we're actually doing a lot of damage long term then there's a second part to it which is yesterday if you've got the images yesterday you would have seen that there was a very strong southwest a southwest that's coming in again today and what that does is it mixes that black oil so it thins it out and that starts uh, spreading vertically throughout the water column now this starts affecting filter feeders mussels uh, it affects all sorts of uh, other invertebrates that are in the, the water column and again what we have is these effects affecting fish lowering reproductive rates lowering the full size of fish lowering reproductive rates in crabs these are all very well documented in the literature and, and these are the effects that we're going to see around here Marine biologist Luis Nieto from the Nautilus Project there speaking to Jonathan Sacramento, who's been at Roja Bay, where a team from the charity has been cleaning up. Now, we know, Jonathan, that the, the gas Venus tank has been detained. The mm-hmm. captain has been arrested. So yes. what's next? Well, uh, he'll go to court and uh, we'll see uh, what... Uh, well, it, it, there'll be a, a prosecution. Uh, we don't... We can't release it. Dig into what's going to happen anymore at that stage, but uh, uh, as as far as the beaches are concerned, uh, they remain closed. Uh, Camp Bay, Little Bay, 
both closed to bathers. Oh, you can go there and you can use the, uh, the public pools that are there and you can use the beach, but you can't bathe. You can't access the bathing area. And, uh, well, yes, uh, Roger Bay is not an official beach, so it doesn't have uh, a bathing area, an official bathing area as such, but obviously strongly recommended that you don't even try and you're working on a report for this for GBC News this evening for TV2. Yes, we're trying to keep people updated as, as well as we can. Thank you so much, Jonathan Sacramento. Pleasure. Are you up to date with your health checkups? Hopefully after today's show, you'll be motivated to find out. We're talking about women's health following revealing statistics from the Breast Cancer Support Group that nearly 600 women missed their mammogram appointments last year. So far this year, around 300 women have missed their mammograms and 133 smear tests have been unattended. So what's stopping us women from getting the medical attention we need and what can we do about it? On the panel, Heidi Jeffries from the Breast Cancer Support Group, Dr. Olivia Gonzalez, cancer survivor Francesca Makey, and first-time mum and journalist Sophie Clifton-Tucker. So thank you all for joining me here today. Thank, thank you for having, having us. us. Okay. Um, I thought perhaps, Francesca, we don't mind me starting with you, because we've had conversations before, of course, you've always done a lot of work raising awareness for the Eve Appeal as well. And I think today's uh, subject, women's health, a lot of people, maybe men in particular, might feel a bit uncomfortable hearing about these things or talking about these things. So I thought, how about we get like some of, like to break the ice, let's get some of those taboo words that people try and shy away from. Let's just get them out in the open now before we start. Do you want to just like spill them out? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Vagina. That's like the number one word I think that um, both men and also women feel quite embarrassed um, actually saying. No, I think um, I was brought up not really knowing the correct or using the correct terminology at home with my mom with my younger sister um so like we never said the word vagina at home or vulva that those two words are often very much confused um in terms of the the female anatomy so um those are two kind of like taboo words even now i'm a 26 year old um, young woman and when i speak to my friends like only now we're just starting to use this terminology but i mean two years ago like we would have never really said vagina or vulva so i think those are two really important ones that we have to start getting used to um and not being embarrassed i'm talking about well thank you um i think that was a great place to start um, so sophie moving on to you your, your beautiful son noah is eight months old i believe you're in the thick of a sleep regression you're also balancing a work life and just you know day-to-day responsibilities so i really appreciate you taking the time in uh, to the time to come in to speak to us today perhaps could you start by summing up your postpartum journey in a few words and, and how it's been going for you so far um, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, as you say, I'm in the thick of it. This feels like a fever dream right now. <laughs> I'm like, I need some sleep. But other than that, it's been amazing. Um, the transformation that you go through is profound because it's not just adding an addition to your family. It's you as a person that's fundamentally changing in all areas. Um, and learning how to do the most difficult thing you'll ever do with no instruction manual and often not a great deal of help. I'm lucky I have I have family and friends, but it's it's tricky for sure. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's as you the, know. The, be- the best thing you'll ever do and the hardest thing you'll ever do. 100%. Yeah. Um, Dr. Olivia Gonzalez, thank you for coming in. Another asset to our panel today. You're a GP, but with a particular focus on women's health. Is that safe to say? Yeah, that's right. So I work in the GHA, I run the Well Woman Clinic um, and I do all the postnatal appointments. Um, So people come in to me with period problems, um, menopause, perimenopause, contraception and then obviously the postnatal anxiety, depression and just general checkups. 
Moving on to mammograms, which has been a hot topic today. A lot of women are not going to their appointments. Heidi, uh, you represent the Breast Cancer Support Group here in Gibraltar. Why do you think women aren't going to their tests? Fear. I think it's fear of the outcome as well as um, what to expect. It's going to be painful. It's not painful at all, I can say. It's uncomfortable, but where the consequences, as we always say, a couple of seconds, because we can't even say it's minutes, a couple of seconds of uncomfortable, yeah, your boob is going to be squashed. <laughs> what can I say? But that's your life insurance. As we say, our chairperson, Mercy Bosso, uh, that's a motto. It's our life insurance. So go for it. It's a free service from the GHA. Take advantage of it. So, yeah. I've never personally had a mammogram yet because what age, Olivia, is the age where women start getting called? So in Gibraltar, it's between 40 and 70 every two years. In the UK, they actually do it a little bit later. So we're a little bit luckier in that we have it earlier. Um, and I agree, people should be going. It's nothing to be scared of. Just do it. And I have a lot of people who will say to me, it's just something I've been meaning to get round to. It's just On the to-do thing. list. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. We can be proud to say that the charity changed the age from 50 to 40 because we were having young ladies with um, breast cancer so we campaigned and we managed to bring it down to to 40 as from the age of 70 um, ladies are not invited but you can still ask to be kept on the mammogram list and you do you do get called my mum was uh, 70 last year and I told her go back tell them that you still want to carry on doing your mammograms and she's on the list but you have to ask for it. So you say it's just a few seconds long. Talk us through the process of what you go through when you go in for an appointment for those who might feel like it's so daunting and so scary to think of. What's the process actually like? We have a, magnif- a magnificent team. We have an amazing team down at the radiology as well as the breast cancers. But when you go into radiology, um, the lovely ladies there, they talk you through the process. They a couple of questions which has to be answered before you, you have your mammogram done. And... Basically, they just tell you this position, go into this position, your arm goes up, this this area, then, and it's honestly, honestly, it's not painful. You shouldn't fear. And the, the ladies there, they're really, they, they make you feel at ease. So, Olivia, when it comes to self-examinations, how often should we be doing it and what should we be looking out for? So the advice is usually after 20, 21, sometimes I would even say to people after your first period just to get used to doing it and make it a habit. If something's habit, it's easier. Um, So they say once a month, um, maybe a week before your period, you can do it in the shower, you can do it when you're lying down, but to make it a regular thing so that then you know what your breasts feel like. And the next month, if you find something different, you can say, okay, I need to go and be seen because this is not normal for me. So you are the one that knows your breasts. I have women who come into me and say, check, can you check them? I don't know what your breasts are normally like. So you are the professional who knows what your breasts feel like. And is it lumps that we're looking out for? Discoloration? What are the the signs? So there's lots of different things. So how does it feel? Is there a lump? Is the nipple different? Is the skin looking different? Um, Do I have lumps under my armpits? Do I have nipple discharge? Do I have pain that's unusual? So there are lots of different symptoms, but it's to know what your normal is so that then you can recognise the abnormal. I'll be the first to admit that I don't do my self-checkups as often or as routine as I should be. You say about around once a month, perhaps mm. it's a case of maybe literally putting it in your calendar so you remember. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether I can put you guys on the spot, uh, Francesca and Sophie, whether you're in the same boat. Uh, would you say that you keep up with your, your self-checks? You go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
as you know, Kelly, I'm a massive campaign campaign of know your body, you know? So that's kind of like my motto, like you mentioned before. Um, so I do um, check myself often, but maybe not as often as once a month. With me, it's tricky because I don't get periods. Mm. So like... I've I've got one ovary, so I do ovulate every month, but it's very hard to kind of know when because I don't really have those like big telltale signs like most women do. So I do try to, and so far, like touch wood, I haven't really found anything abnormal. But I do think that it's a really important message that you're coming um, getting across to women of knowing your body because that's pivotal. Mm. Sophie, I'm going to take you dodging the question as my answer. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll move on. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> this is your sign. But from now to get on, checking. Guys, yeah. I will do. put I it promise. in your calendar. It's going yeah. in. <laughs> uh, I just add something. Yeah, of course. Partners play a very important part in this as well oh, my because. <laughs> Your partner's offered, Sophie. (laughs) You should take him up on that. We'll put it in the diary. (laughs) Partners, often they do pick up a lot of lumps and abnormalities in the breasts. So partners out there, get checking. (laughs) Doesn't sound so bad when you put it like that, Heidi. Um, You've also been very complimentary, Heidi, about the the service that we have in the GHA and the mammogram team. We've also received some positive feedback for your charity and the work that you do. Sangeetha, a a cancer survivor, she says she couldn't speak highly enough about your team and she says she was in awe of all you do in the community. So it must be... Uh, so rewarding. Can I to hear feedback like that? Excellent. Thank you very, very much, Sangeeta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one. She's a, a, a survivor. Mm-hmm. I guess. So, yeah. Remind us a bit about the, the work that you guys do in the community. Uh, our main aim is to campaign for better services for the GHA. Uh, to date, we, I can say that we've spent over £300,000. We've donated to the GHA. Uh, we've bought equipment, uh, sent um, uh, nurses on training, uh, palliative care nurses training as well. We've bought biopsy machines. Uh, we've contributed to the new mammogram uh, machine. Um, we also have the, um, we bought the, I say, we call it the EpiPen. It's for the surgeon to pick up uh, cancers when uh, they're having surgery. This little pen, it detects the lymph nodes, which lymph node is affected and which one isn't. So we do contribute a lot and we have spent a lot on the GHA. How to say so our campaigning is mm-hmm. solely for for the GHA. Well, the community for is the lucky community. to have you all. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, now we will be going into the news quite shortly. We don't have too much time before we we head into that break. But uh, lots more to cover from smear tests to HPV to gynecological cancers to postpartum. There's just so much we can try and squeeze into this hour. Um, Olivia smear tests. Quite a few have also been missed so far this year. 133 already just this year alone. So um, we don't have too much time. But if you can just briefly reassure women about why they should be going for their smear tests. So smear tests are important because they detect changes early before you have any signs of cancer. So it's a prevention, it's a thing before you get symptoms, so it's early prevention is best. So the sooner we know there's abnormal cells, the quicker we can do something about it and prevent it progressing. We've got lots to get through still, but we have heard from a couple of listeners, Jesslyn, saying that she's really enjoying the conversation and she's finding the information that you guys have been have been giving us really useful. So that's really welcoming to hear. We've also heard, this is something I was going to bring up with you, Heidi, earlier and, and I, I just forgot, uh, men and breast cancer. Squeegee's been in touch and he says that he yeah. has a lot of cancer in his family. So he checks every day. He said it's simple to do in the shower and it's important that men should check themselves for lumps in their breasts as we can also get Absolutely. breast cancer. We do have men in Gibraltar with breast cancer. Um, as as we said before, 
check yourself. If you see any abnormality, men and women, go have it checked. We, we have the TLC, which is a touch. Look and check. Touch yourself, look for any changes, and if there is, check. Get the GP to check it for you. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, Now, Sophie, you recently published an article in The Chronicle and none of us have heard of this word before. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Matricense? Matricense? I've never said it out loud. But you've written about it. (laughs) I've written about it. I'm going to go with matrescence. Matrescence. Okay, that sounds better. Um, So we've never heard of it before, including Olivia, who's who's a doctor. Can you explain what this is to us? So it's the profound shift, the transformation a woman goes through when they become a mother. So you've heard of pubescence and adolescence, and then there's matrescence, or however you pronounce it. (laughs) In much the same way, it's like a hurricane of hormones and a shift in identity. And as I wrote about, it's like you're, you're grappling between the fragments of who you were and who you are becoming. You mentioned as well in your article a really interesting flamingo an, an, an analogy. Uh, can you explain that to us? Because I found that really um, interesting to read about. So I read that flamingos, they lose their, their pink um, when they have their young because the young are literally leaching the nutrients out of them. So the reason that flamingos have the colour to begin with, whether it's pink or red or orange, it depends on what they're eating. And it's something called... Oh, God, another word. I've never said out loud. <laughs> Car- carotenoids. Carotenoids. Well done. None of us know. So just say it with conviction. <laughs> we'll believe you. actually. And um, so that gives them their colour. And then when they have their young and they're feeding their young, it all gets leached out of them and they go kind of pale looking. So if you ever see a flamingo that looks a bit washed out, probably a parent, which is why I look a bit washed out too. <laughs> so. I feel you. I'm two years into postpartum and I'm also not feeling too pink. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also mentioned that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child, you know, which is something that we all hear about. But nowadays... No one really has too much of a village. It's not like uh, back in the day, maybe older generations lived with grandparents. They had maybe their neighbours who had their doors wide open and were helping with their children. Do you think perhaps that because we're all so busy nowadays and we don't have the greatest of support systems, that that's why maybe people, women, aren't going for their mammograms and they're not going for their smear tests because they're not prioritising their health because they're, they're just juggling so much? Absolutely possible, I think. I have people who cancel, I can't, my son's sick... Or they phone, you know, I can't today because the traffic and I need to take my son to work. And it's like, no, you need to come for you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think. I know it uh, might be a generalisation, but I feel like women do tend to mm. put their own family's needs above their own. No? So this might be something where they need uh, kind of a bit of a reminding that their health comes first. It's mm. a bit like the whole oxygen mask thing. Now, when you're flying, if you don't have your own oxygen, then how can you help others? Mm. Now, Francesca, if we can move on to you now. I know you mentioned earlier, of course, we know that you're a womb cancer survivor. You were diagnosed very young, at just 17 years old. Uh, can you uh, explain to us how uh, what led to this diagnosis at such a young age? So my main um, kind of symptom was the heavy bleeding during my periods. Um, there were times where I would bleed maybe 28 days um, nonstop, then stop for maybe a week and then bleed for another 10 and then stop for two weeks. And it was just like that for just under a year. Um, So it did take multiple um, visits to the GP, um, multiple MRIs. I I believe I had two MRIs and three biopsies, actually one in in Gibraltar and then two in the UK until I was eventually diagnosed. Um, So this is why I think the message of 
getting to know your body and really listening to yourself is really important because if I had listened to perhaps the doctor who told me, oh, this is normal, you're a woman, um, women get periods, some women get heavier periods than, than others and unfortunately you're one of those women. If I had listened to that doctor, if I had listened to the first biopsy or the MRI, the first MRI, um, maybe the, the outcome would have been different. So I did persist and I did go back. I did see multiple doctors um, and I did, thanks to my mom, really um, push to get seen to um, by practically all the different gynecologists um, in, in Jib um, until I finally got my diagnosis. So I think it's a really important message that if you do see something abnormal, the same with the breasts, definitely um, with your periods, with bleeding, um, pain, bloating, go and get it checked because there's nothing to be embarrassed about. At just 17, being so confident about your own body, it's just really impressive that you managed to fight your corner in that way. Uh, what was then like the, the treatment process like for you? So um, I was diagnosed in February and then just two weeks after I was flown to the UK um, to undergo a hysterectomy. So they did remove my uterus and with that the tumour obviously which was contained thankfully within the uterus um, was gone. Um, so I did um, go through menopause, um, early induced menopause at the age of 17 which we were talking about that outside actually. Um which was difficult because, like we were saying, no one really talks about the menopause, especially at a young age, because, I mean, it's unheard of, really. Um, and then um, the treatment, thankfully, I didn't have to have any chemo or radio. It was just, um, I say just, um, monthly um, hormonal injections that were um, given to me in my belly on each side um, to kind of keep my ovaries going um, and keep the hormones going. And thankfully, um, everything's working still now, so... Yeah, I mean, you, you speak of it now quite matter of fact because you've spent so many years campaigning and raising awareness of this, but it's something that's unimaginable that a teenager has had to go through what you've been through and the, the trauma that you've been through. I think it's just incredible and just inspiring that you're using your experience to now empower other women. So I just wanted to say thank you uh, for coming in today and, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. And, and then once you were given the all clear, that wasn't the end of your story there, was it? Yep. So um, this was now coming on to 10 years ago. So I'm going to turn 27. Um, in November, um, about five years ago, I then took the big decision to harvest my eggs because I knew that one day in the future, I do want to be a mother too. Um, so I went through that process about four years ago, um, which again came with many complications. Um, I um, One of my ovaries overstimulated so produced many eggs um, and I had all sorts of medical complications which actually um, continued up until last November so the November that's just passed where I had to have that ovary removed because again it was still causing loads of problems so this is why I'm so um, annoying I guess about oh, never annoying. <laughs> spreading never annoying. that message not getting to know your body because like the, the cancer happened to me 10 years ago but I've like since then I've had like other subsequent issues to do with my my health no which hasn't necessarily been related but it's still there mm -hmm. so I've kind of like been pushing like this isn't normal this doesn't feel normal let's go and see the doctor um and thankfully everything has kind of like fallen into place and now I'm at a good <laughs> good mm -hmm. stage <laughs>
Well, it's wonderful to have you here, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, we're actually going to hear now um, from 32-year-old Eloise Hadlow. She's a young mum of two little ones, and she's recently been diagnosed with cervical cancer. She's in the UK waiting for surgery. And uh, she was receiving HPV-positive smear tests in the lead-up to this. So, um, Dr. Gonzalez, could you explain first before we hear from her what HPV is? So it's um abbreviation for human papillomavirus. It's a common virus that we're all exposed to, anyone who is sexually active. Um, and what happens is there's certain types of HPV. So there's over 100 types. There's certain high-risk ones that, as women, we can um, get when we're exposed to sexual intercourse and they can cause changes in the cells so the smear will detect early changes so if you're hpv positive then you'll probably have a more um regular smear just to make sure you clear it that can then turn into cancerous cells growing hence you get more um smears and your under colposcopy and you see the gynecologist until you're given the all clear um, it must be quite scary to, to receive the HPV diagnosis, but it's actually more common than we might believe. Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone is terrified when I have to call them to say you're HPV positive. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean I have cancer? It's like, no, you have a virus. So normally your body will clear the virus. And what we do is we check your smear in a year's time. If you still have it, it's one uh, policy. If you don't have it, then you go back to normal screening. So most of the time it won't cause a problem. Your body will clear it, but we want to know about it. Well, this is Eloise's story. I've had positive smear three years ago, um, HPV positive since, so I've been getting my yearly smears. And about September, October time last year, I started with irregular bleeding, a lot of bloatiness, extremely tired. Um, and about March time, more or less, I had some extreme weight loss. So went to the World Person Clinic, had a check and got sent directly over to gynecology, had a colposcopy done where um, a biopsy was taken, then I had the let's procedure done and that's where they found out that I do have the big C. So I'm currently got shot over to London. Luckily, it's been caught very quickly. So it's just a radical hysterectomy, which is a major, major surgery, but I'll be on the mend directly after that. So just want to express and stress as much as I can. Ladies, get your cervical smears done, especially on time. And if you're HPV positive, do not miss your yearly checks. So that was Eloise Hadlow, just 32 years old, diagnosed with cervical cancer, awaiting a major operation. Dr. Gonzalez, she also had this to say. Also want to express my greatest gratitude to Dr. Gonzalez and also to the gynae department, especially Dr. Gerges and his nursing. They have been absolute angels walking this planet and they are the ones who have potentially saved my life. She says you saved her life. <laughs> she saved her own life. <laughs> and that just, it's the, sorry, we're all going to get upset now. It's the... <laughs> it's the significance of knowing that intuition and mm -hmm. listening to your body, which, as you said, Francesca, Absolutely. is something that you've been standing by. Uh, sorry, uh, let's just all compose ourselves a second. Yeah, we wish uh, Louise a speedy recovery and we hope that her surgery goes really well. And we were looking forward to seeing her back in Gibraltar, Definitely. hopefully very soon.
so yeah, lots to get through. I mean, there's also menopause that we touched on. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps we can talk about some of the, the menopause symptoms that women can look out for and some of the side effects of that. Yeah, so yeah. menopause is a big thing nowadays. Everyone knows about it. It's a uh, buzzword. Davina McCall helped with that. Um, it's a lot in the news in the UK, so people are learning more about it. So menopause is technically classified when you don't have a period for a year. The perimenopause is the time before that. So that can start usually anywhere from 40. Typical age of menopause is 51. So throughout those 10, 11 years, people are going to be having symptoms. Classically, what do people think about? Flushes, sweats, I'm moody, I'm irritable. But it can affect a lot more things. So palpitations, feeling your skin is itchy feeling you've got dryness of your vagina, um, feeling you've got pain during intercourse, uh, anxiety, depression. So there's lots and lots of symptoms and not everyone has one. They'll have different ones. It'll affect them differently and their quality of life will be affected differently. Thank you. Uh, We don't have too much time left, so we can just kind of wrap up. Uh, Heidi, one final message to the community, to those nearly 600 women who missed their mammograms (laughs) last year. Please, please, I can't stress this enough. Go get your mammograms done. Go. It's just, as I said before, and I'll keep on repeating it, it's just a couple of seconds of uncomfortable. It's not pain, but it's your life insurance. So please get down there. We've got an excellent team in the radiology department. So please go down there and have it done. Francesca, what's next for you in terms of your campaigning and your raising of awareness that you're doing so brilliantly? Um, well, September's Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month, so I'll probably get um, be getting you guys involved. Um, as I'll, do. Sa- I'll save you the slot in the breakfast <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. As I do every year. Um, but yeah, my message to, to everyone out there, um, get bleeding checked, get to know your body, listen to your body, and don't be embarrassed when going to see your GP or speaking to friends and family about um, gynae health. Sophie, thank you so much for coming in today because um, as someone who's recently been through postpartum and I suppose is still going through postpartum myself, I know that you're really in the thick of it right now in terms of sleep deprivation. It's like, you know, not all heroes wear capes. So just the fact that you've made it in today whilst you're working and uh, breastfeeding and going through the the whole uh, rigmarole of this uh, postpartum journey, what would you like to say to other women who might be listening to this and feeling quite alone right now as they're on maternity leave and struggling with all these big feelings? Um everything you're experiencing is normal everything is just a season and you will get your pink back Hmm. i love that thank Hmm. you so much uh dr gonzalez uh how would you reassure women who are scared of going for their checkups one final push to push that message out there think of it as something you have to do it's on your list you want to do all things on your list for everyone else so this is something for you to also check off your list and put yourself first thanks for listening to those highlights from gibraltar today I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar, Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.